When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to Knocking Doors Down, brought to you by KDD Media Company. You know, suicide is the fourth leading cause of death among kids, which is, which is tragic. And, and bullying is, is an incredibly important factor in that. And now, you know, with the internet, uh, cyberbullying is, is, is another pandemic. I mean, I, I'm not trying to minimize what we're going through, but, you know, with, with one stroke of a, a keyboard, you know, kids are getting bullied to everybody in their school 24 hours a day. And it's just, oh, yeah. you know, when I was a kid, you got bullied, like, you know, on the way to school at lunch and on the way home. And now, you know, kids are getting bullied nonstop. Inside the 5150 studios, this is Knocking Doors Down, your host, Jason Lachance, with the background of uh, alcoholism, also some childhood trauma, some sexual trauma, divorce. I've been through a lot, but hey, taking that, turning it into my advantage, being able to use all that uh, life experience and speak with others. And of course, my co-host, Mikey Naraki, no different. What is going on, people? He's, uh, well, you know, faced a little bit of uh, rehab, uh, running with the law a time or two. I got myself busted a time or two. What are you going to do? <laughs> and some other adversities as we all go through. And uh, that's what Knocking Doors Down is about, is speaking with people who've gone through adverse situations and uh, turned it into a real positive. Our guest, Sean Kanan, no different. Your karate sucks, LaChance. <laughs> and if you recognize that, of course, from Karate Kid 3, uh, Matt Barnes, uh, he was the bully. But interestingly enough, he was bullied as a child himself. I wonder if that's got to hurt. You know, playing a bully after being bullied. It's like, wonder if that brings up old thoughts. Well, we do talk to him about that if he took a lot of those experiences, threw it into some of the characters that uh, he played because he did kind of get stereotyped uh, as far as what he was casted in, mm-hmm. uh, in different stuff as kind of the bully, the bad guy. Uh, and we get into really how he's... Uh, Use that to help others. He's a part, big part of an anti-bullying campaign, goes out and speaks w- to the youth uh, about anti-bullying and really trying to educate them on uh, the impact that it can have. That's right. Yeah. Also, for all those fans, of course, we get into Karate Kid. We get into Cobra Kai. We also get into Studio City, uh, his uh, show that he's working on, available on Amazon, and uh, it's really insightful. He's just a great guy. It's like hanging out with an old buddy. To yeah, it was good, dude. He was really easy to talk to. So, again, we thank you guys for listening. Of course, please uh, subscribe if you haven't already to whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Also, in the link in the description, our YouTube channel is up. You can start checking out some of those videos up there as we're getting full interviews up and on the YouTube channel for you guys. Anything else, Mikey? Let's get into it. John Kanan, welcome to Knocking Doors Down, man. It's it's good to talk with you. Been a fan of of your work uh, for a long time, yeah. so this is really cool. It's one of those personal ones where it's like I couldn't sleep the night before. Your and- <laughs> sucks, legit. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Oh, shoot. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, of course, we, you know, we want to talk about you're doing a lot with anti-bullying campaigns and that stuff we, sure. we want to touch on. And then, of course, Karate Kid 3, and there's some adversity that people don't know about that occurred there. 
that, uh, you know, I kind of had to deep dive too. And I was kind of like, holy shit. But uh, I always like to know, (laughs) you know, what was little Sean like, Uh, you know, were you like a rambunctious dude? Because you've got this jovial personality. Of course, I've been watching Studio City, which uh, people can check out on Amazon. Um, Thank you. But uh, what were you like as a kid? I think I think like a lot of kids, I had different periods of my childhood when when I was different because you know as we're growing up, you're trying to figure out who you are, right? You know, it's I, I read this really interesting thing once, and it was it was a guy talking about how he was growing up and he had a bunch of different sets of shoes, and what he meant by that was you know I tried you know I tried the track shoes on and I wasn't that guy, and then I tried the cowboy boots on and I kind of wasn't that guy, and it wasn't until he found this one pair of shoes that he kind of figured out who he was. And I was a lot like that. Um, when I was, when I was a young kid, uh, I went through a period where I was like the chubby kid and that was, uh, that was difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was bullied a lot. Um, really, you know, went through some tough times. Uh, and, and in a lot of ways, as kind of painful as that was and as scarring as it was, it, I think, helped forge a sense of compassion in me, which I, I like to think as an adult, I, I carry forward to other people, which is really important. Um, you know, as I, as I got a little older, I started training in martial arts. I got more confidence. Um, and then I, I went away to boarding school my junior and senior year in high school. Um, and that was really difficult too. You know, by that time I had kind of, um, you know, developed a sense of confidence. Um, you know, it's sort of, lost a bunch of weight, got contact lenses. I, I looked very different, but I, I think I still carried that, 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 that fat little kid inside of me for sure. a long time. You know, I was never uh, a real popular guy. I was, I was, a, I was a bit of a loner. Um, and uh, then, you know, I, I went to school uh, in Boston University. And, and, you know, I think that's when you really start to come into your own, you know, once you're completely away from your parents and, you know, away from a lot of the restrictions of school, you know, you make mistakes, but you, you start to develop who you are. So yeah, I don't know if that was an overly <laughs> answer question. But. No. Uh, so wh- why, why the switch to, uh, I got kind of a two interesting thing that what was the catalyst to getting you involved in, in martial arts? Uh, what was the inspiration for that? Um, when I was really young, I was really interested in boxing. I think Rocky came out in 1976. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that put me at about 10 years old. And by the time I was about 13, 14, um, I had started doing some boxing. And my mother used to drive me over to this gym on the south side of Youngstown, Ohio, which was it was a rough area. And very quickly, my parents ascertained that the, the guys that were boxing there were like boxing as a, as a pathway out of a, a bad socioeconomic situation. Right. And you know, their nice Jewish son was <laughs> you know, like, that ain't happening. So they found a karate school in my town and I didn't even really want to study karate. I was really into the boxing and I was decent at it too. And uh, although young and green, uh, but I started taking karate and uh, uh, you know, I really, I really just fell in love with it. And uh, I liked the camaraderie of the school. Uh, my teacher was a really dynamic individual who wound up playing a very important role in my life as I as I got older, including uh, being very instrumental in me getting the role in Karate Kid Three in a lot of indirect ways. Uh, and so that's that. And, and of course, you know, once once the Karate Kid came out and that mania sort of overtook 
the country and the world. Yeah. You know, I was already there studying, so uh, I, I certainly wasn't going to stop. Yeah, you want a fun factoid about this dick sitting next to me? How many Karate Kid movies have you seen? Sorry, Sean. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sean. It's nothing personal. You know what? Fuck you, Jason. There's a lot of movies that I haven't seen. Okay, hey, uh, how many Rocky let movies me give have you, you seen? Let me give you a list. I've well, never I, seen I, Back to the Future. The Karate Kid goes. You haven't seen Rocky? I haven't seen Rocky. I haven't seen Back to the Future. I've never seen The Goonies. Oh, Sean, do you want to know the worst step part about Rocky? We were just in Philadelphia doing interviews. We ran the steps at the museum. No, I ran the well, steps. you ran the steps. You stayed there and watched. I did that. I did that. I saw the highlights of Rocky, but you know what? I ran the steps. He was on the back doing whatever he was doing. I was filming you running the steps so you could impress a girl, but anyways. You still didn't run him. I ran him, Sean. And I did the Rocky after. <laughs> I lived it. I didn't watch it. I lived it. <laughs> well, you, you got to see it. It's, it's, a, it's yes. a pretty incredible film. Rocky's on my to-watch list and Karate Kid 3, too. So it's, yeah, it's, it's on my uh, to-do list. It, uh, for me, though, I can relate. They were just huge inspirations for me as a child. Kind of, mm -hmm. I can relate to that not fitting in, not feel, you know, the popular yeah. kid. But uh, also, you said something interesting about boarding school, junior and senior year. What was the, the reasoning behind that? That's what I was going to ask, too. You know, uh, it, it, was, it was a couple things. Um, first of all, my father had gone there. So, um, I, you know, I had, it was a, a bit of a legacy, um, but also I was, you know, I was kind of screwing up a little bit. I was, uh, I was kind of floundering a little and, and my parents were like, look, if you, you know, you're going to have any chance of getting into a good school, you need to buckle down. And so they sent me there and it was very difficult. It was, uh, it was very lonely. It was, uh, it was a whole bunch of things. And in retrospect, I, I'm extremely happy they did it. Yeah. Mm. You know, uh, it, it really, it, it taught me a lot of things uh, about myself and, you know, academically, it really helped me, um, made some, made some great, uh, some friendships. So, uh, as much as I didn't like it while I was there, it's one of those <laughs> things I look back on now and really see the value in it. Were you yeah. super bummed out when you were told you had to go or was it kind of just like, all right, well, well my dad was thrilled because here's the thing, you know, I had like already started, uh, you know, spending time with the ladies, so to speak. And, uh, <laughs> you know, now I'm, I'm being sent away to this boarding school where they've got very strict rules. Yeah. About, even though it's even though it's co-ed, like there's not a lot of uh, intercommingling habitation going on over there. Huh? <laughs> that kind of that kind of wasn't great. Yeah, yeah. I was going to can relate to that. <laughs> I was going to ask you, yeah, was it, was it, what were some of the, the things going on? Was it just, you know, girl crazy, not focusing on academics? Was it, you know, the kind hey, of hey, partying you know, and all that hey, stuff? You know, yeah. I, I, let's just say I was, I was, I was testing limits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. all right. Leave it at that. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll leave it at that. So you end up uh, after boarding school, uh, Boston University, you said. Went to Boston University for two years. Um, fun years, exciting years. Um, wish I'd studied harder in retrospect. Uh, wound up going to UCLA and finishing my political science degree there, which was great. And while I was uh, going to UCLA, I got the role of uh, Mike Barnes. And actually, I had actually gotten a couple roles before that, a couple small mm. roles. So I had a very limited relationship with UCLA as far as you know having any kind of social life or anything there. And I didn't live on campus. Um, I was, you know, taking classes and just trying to, you know, 
get through it and get my degree because I, you know, absolutely knew that, you know, acting was what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, That's yeah. interesting being you were a poli sci major uh, that was acting, right. but, but what, what uh, spawned you from going across the country from Boston to, to LA? Was it just that, you know what, I'm in Boston, the acting scene is uh, not happening here. <laughs> It was a couple of things. The, the first thing was, you know, I knew that to be a professional actor, I needed to be, I either needed to be in Los Angeles or New York. LA or New York, yeah. And I, you know, I say it's, it's, it's easier to starve where the sun's out. So, <laughs> and uh, I had met a girl in Boston who was a senior and she graduated and <clears throat> she lived in Los Angeles and said, listen, why don't you come out with me? And I said, that sounds great. And she said, you could stay at my parents' house and they had this, fabulous mansion in bel-air <laughs> nice <laughs> it, was, it was really great i was i was very fortunate and she was very kind and um you know i, I was able to start making inroads into uh you know acting while i was going to ucla while i was staying there eventually got my own place and uh you know uh got into acting class got a few breaks yeah what was that process that the, the inroad because um, I went to, to film and television school, uh, major f uh, directing, minor acting, and, uh, you know, it, to me, it just seemed the impossible. What, what, you know, people don't understand that break-in and just breaking in and how challenging it can be. What was your uh, process? So hard. And it's, it's harder. It's, it's harder. It was harder then than it is now. Um, and it was also harder then than it was, like, back in the day when they had the studio system. Oh, yeah. Like, basically if they saw somebody that looked like they could be an actor or an actress, they'd sign them to a contract, throw them in acting class, dance class, elocution class, get them in the gym, and then they'd start sticking them in roles in little movies, right? Mm -hmm. By the time I got out there, that wasn't happening anymore, but we didn't have the internet. Now, you know, you've got people that are creating content for themselves, either on Instagram, YouTube, and it's a way of getting seen that, that didn't exist when I started. So I kind of, you know, uh, I, I kind of hit it at a time where it was difficult. Yeah. Um, you know, I knocked on a lot of doors. I, I was fortunate that I, I found a manager who was a reputable guy early on. He was a good person, uh, gave me some good direction. Um, and I, I got in with a very good acting class. And, you know, I was pretty tenacious. Um, I got a couple good breaks and one break led to another. And, you know, uh, Things started happening sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. <laughs> yeah, I get what you're saying as far as the internet thing because a perfect example of that is uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of him, but Justin Bieber. I mean, he got noticed on YouTube. You know what I mean? Like, who knows where he would be or what he'd be doing now if it weren't for the internet and all that crap going on. So it was definitely yeah. tougher times, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, it's uh, people always ask me, uh, you, you know, uh, aspiring actors, and they say, well, "What can I do?" And I was like, "Listen, you've got." all these tools at your disposal to get mm -hmm. noticed because you know back in the day when i started out they would always say well we want to see what you look like on tape meaning you know we want to see basically something that is a produced you know video or something we can look at to see what your talent is and now you know anybody with a couple lights and a beauty dish and an iphone can put something together you know go learn mm -hmm. a monologue film it put it on a, a vimeo channel and show it to an agent yeah, yeah. you know did, uh, when i was starting out did Are you kicked off my lawn <laughs> <laughs> did did your uh, the training with martial arts 
kind of create a lot of that tenacity that you had and that toughness as, as well as I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, definitely my, my martial arts teacher was very hard on me. Um, he, he was emotionally hard on me. He expected a lot out of me. I think there were times when he pressed me to see if I would quit or I would stay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, I, I think that helped me with a lot of the psychological difficulty that comes with being an actor. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's very emotionally and psychologically challenging, uh, because you're constantly in a position of trying to find work, mm-hmm. uh, constantly putting yourself out there in auditions and, you know, 99 out of a hundred times you're, you're being, um, rejected mm-hmm. and you have to learn to take that rejection and not see it as a failure, but to learn from it, to, you know, for me, I would say, okay, maybe I got to audition for somebody that didn't know who I was. Maybe I got to prepare for a role that was sort of outside of my wheelhouse. You, you got to always put an, a, a positive attachment onto it. Yeah. How close did he push you from actually, have you thought about quitting? Like, I'm sure you thought about it, but did you ever get actually pretty close to doing so? Sure. Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but I, I, it was one of those deals, right? I wouldn't give him the satisfaction. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. I like that. You know, it's kind of the same thing with my acting career. I mean, uh, you know, I'll never forget. I when I first came to when I first came to Hollywood. I think it was Hollywood or was it New York? Anyway, there was an open call for Nina Blanchard's modeling agency, and Nina Blanchard was a huge modeling agent. And you know, I had these pictures that I had taken professionally, and you know, they they took they took my my photos back to Nina to go look at in another room. And then they brought it back out and they said, basically, thank you, but no, thank you. And, uh, I was like, I was like, fuck it on to the next fuck her. I'll show her. That's good. That's a mentality to have. Cause I might leave crying. It's just, that was really (laughs) rude. You couldn't have just said, I mean, I guess she said no, but fuck. But the, but Sean to the thing, cause I, I, I did uh, Brazilian jujitsu off and on over a decade. Um, and there's a, there's a difference between, bullying and and what a mentor does to push you can you kind of speak on what 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 that is so that people i think think mentors are it's an incredibly important relationship you know almost everybody that's really successful has had a mentor you know bill gates has had uh, warren buffett i mean uh um you know was it you know aristotle had plato i mean you know anybody who's really achieved anything of consequence, you probably can trace it to somebody that was their mentor because, you know, this is somebody that's walked the path that you want to walk and can kind of show you where the pitfalls and the mines are. And also hopefully introduce you to some people that are going to allow you to circumvent, you know, some of the, 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 the challenges, but also challenge you so that you learn to do these things for yourself. Um, you know, when I was growing up in uh, my small town of Western Pennsylvania, um, I didn't know it at the time, but I, I, I love going to movies as a form of escapism, as a way to see beyond my sort of limited horizon in a small town. And I didn't know that going to the movies, those were my earliest mentors, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, you know, the outlaw Jesse Wales, um, you know, Bruce Lee. These were my mentors and they, they each showed me something different that I wanted to try and find in myself. Um, I've been very fortunate to have uh, some mentors in my life. And, you know, now as a guy that's uh, in his 50s, uh, you know, I, I try as best I can to to mentor other people and to, uh, 
you know, to, to help them learn from my experience and, uh, you know, just basically be, be willing to share um, things that I've learned along the way to hopefully help somebody else and they in turn can pass it on. And I think really that's the circle of life is mm-hmm. the passing it on and, you know, pulling somebody up because somebody pulled you up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that pay it forward. Well, it, I, and the thing that dawned on me too, that being that you're a huge uh, Rocky fan as well, when you got signed for Karate Kid 3, which we'll, we'll jump into, did it dawn on you that the soundtrack was going to be done by Bill Conti, the same guy that did Rocky? No, it didn't. No, amazing. I mean, and also, you know, I suppose if I really thought about it, I guess it's not that far of a stretch because John Abelson, who directed Rocky, directed the Karate Kid. So, yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. Good point. Good point. John. Uh, what's that? I said it was quite an honor to work with, you know, an Academy Award winning director like John. Yeah. T- talk about that a little bit. What was that experience like with John? I mean, was he a guy that was on set? Was he kind of like, almost like, a, a, you know, a, a, a martial arts instructor would be? Was he was he tough? Was he no. challenging? No. no, John was, uh, <laughs> God rest his soul. John was a... a could be difficult. Um, John knew what he wanted. Um, you know, th- this was the third installment, uh, you know, it was the third film in the Karate Kid series. So, you know, they had a machine and I was like the new cog in the machine. Right. And, um, you know, it was far and away the biggest thing that I'd ever done. And I had to learn very quickly how to, you know, conduct myself on set and not be, you know, really excited that I'm working with Mr. Miyagi and Daniel, you, you know what I mean? I mean <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> grown up with them and now suddenly I'm working with them and there was a, a bit of a quick learning curve where I had to kind of you know again they were they were hard on me but I needed it because I was I was I was a little undisciplined not out of any kind of thoughtlessness or malice just kind of like as a, a bit of a wide-eyed you know this is this is this is like the biggest thing that's ever happened to me in my life uh-huh. But they didn't have time for that. They needed me to do my job. And then being hard on me, uh, I think, really focused me into doing my job. Yeah. Yeah, because you had to play a total dick. I mean, Matt Barnes is a jerk. I, I could only imagine that you 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 took a, an amalgam of all the bullies you had as a kid and threw it into that character. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I, listen, yeah. Uh, you know, I, it's hard for me to watch The Karate Kid 3 because now as a guy that's, you know, I've been acting for 35 years, I see all right. sorts of things that I wish I would have done differently. But, you know, that's what they wanted. They wanted a, a one-dimensional uh, bully. The guy was described as a 17-year-old white Mike Tyson. Um, oh, and it's so funny, at 17, if you had asked me if I thought I was that guy, I would have said, are you kidding me? But when push came to shove, I, I, I guess I was able to, you know, summon that up and create that yeah um you know so uh, who knows you know I, I, like i said I, I look i look back on it and for, for me i just see all sorts of things i wish i had done differently but it's so flattering that after three decades uh, people are still talking about it and you know it's now uh the film has a, a, a new resurgence and, and relevancy thanks to uh to cobra kai yeah so yeah you know i'm very i'm very humbled so let's talk about uh, some of the. Like, I, I would. There's no way I can't do this with you and not ask about Pat Morita as a as a person. I had such an affection for him. Well, you know, I I, I grew up watching Pat on Happy Days. Yeah. So for me, 
or he was Mr. Miyagi. He was Arnold. <laughs> right. uh, you know, I was again. I was just, uh, you know, I was ecstatic to be working with him. It was just, it was surreal. Um, he was, he was very kind, um, very funny. You know, he, he started out as a uh, uh, comedian in the Catskills, right? And um, you know, certainly did not talk with you know, and and you know, the the accent that he used for the film. Uh, he had more of kind of a slight New York accent, mm. um, but it was it was an amazing experience to work with him and and with Ralph. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I've I've uh, conversed with people that have worked with Ralph over the years, including uh, this um, musician Danko Jones that had Ralph in this long form video thing. He did a series of videos. He just said one of the greatest guys. But uh, there's a, one situation though that she had that people may not be aware of, um, and I want to know. Jesus, I don't know how you have dealt with Jerry Weintraub, but um, there's a scene in the movie that doesn't look like it's it's when in the final cut where you're being thrown out of the door. If I remember, it's the bonsai uh, store, right? And you had to no. Are you talking? I got injured. Yeah. Where was what? No. What scene was it in? No, it was in the uh, Cobra Kai dojo. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it wasn't when I was being thrown out the door. You would think that, but it was it was a shot where I sort of just had to jump and fall on my side yeah. really simple no martial arts and yeah i uh, i perforated my my momentum which is something that wraps around your intestine and i've been bleeding internally and uh christmas day 1989 while everyone else was getting ready for christmas with their family um i was in a las vegas emergency room uh bleeding to death oh, and it was surreal uh you know i, I they, they told me they didn't know if they could save my life um you know i had emergency emergency surgery i thought they meant monday they meant in 15 minutes my dad they could only get one ticket so my dad flew out from the east coast you know at like one in the morning i mean it, it was it was a big deal um uh i got a call from the studio actually from john Abelson, and basically said look you've got to make it back to work in like 10 days or else you know we're done That's you're done and so I, I, you know, got myself out of that bed and eventually got myself out of the hospital and eventually got myself back on the set and eventually did all of my own stunts in the film, with the exception of uh, the one stunt where the, the guys are in the convertible Mustang doing the wheel, the, the donuts, and then they, they go by and the train comes. Right. I was like, there's no way that I, you know, there's no way that I almost died and I'm getting taken out by, that's not happening. So let the stuntman do that one. Yeah, I'm not getting in that freaking car. Because, yeah, it looks right. It, they shot it just right where you're like, oh, man, that thing barely made it, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. shoot. So what? Um, how much of the film was done at that point? I mean, did you still have, like, the final <laughs> fight scenes? And what else was left that you no, had? No, 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 no. We, no, we filmed for about two weeks. They had just enough of me mm-hmm. that it merited them sticking with me. But you gotta remember, I I originally was not the first choice for Mike Barnes. They hired somebody else who worked for a week and then they fired him and brought me in. So that already put them behind schedule, I would imagine. So uh, yeah, you know, originally they decided that they were gonna use me for all the close-ups and use a stuntman for all the martial arts. But I mean, you know, I've been training for a long time and really diligently. And it was, you know, I was like, there's no way if I, if I can do this, I'm doing it. Yeah. And so, um, uh, through a lot of, I guess, will and discipline, I, I was able to 
you know, rehabilitate myself enough and convince them that I could do it. I mean, I was still kind of put together with paper clips and rubber bands by the time I was doing all that. I mean, you can imagine that I, you know, I had a, I still have a, about a 15 inch incision on my abdomen. Right. Um, so, you know, that was freshly healed while I was doing most of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there were times that, you know, I would tear and pull, but you know, I, I, yeah, it was, it was something else. Man, I, you know, hats off to you, you're a tough son of a gun, man. Oh, shoot. You know, I just, I just wanted it so badly. I mean, I, and I think, I think, you know, I, I have a book coming out. Uh, it's called Way the Cobra, and mm. it's a it's a motivational, success based book. And and one of the things I talk about in it is that, you know, you have to. You have to have a strong why for whatever it is you're doing. You know, your why is what's going to pick you up when you get knocked down. It's it's what's going to, you know, force you to summon up strength that you didn't know you had. And my my why was I had come too far, and and you know, doing this film was to that point the most, you know, it was the biggest thing in my life, and there was no way that I was going to lose it. And so that was the why that drove me to do. I don't know. I don't know if I could do that today. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't. I don't know. I would like to think I could, but I was so singularly focused on you know not losing the film that that was what drove me. Yeah, I I couldn't imagine. That's a lot of pain to push through. So you know, hats off to you, man. That is, that's Being tough. in a hospital bed, not knowing if you're going to live or die, and then them calling you saying, "By the way, if you're not here in ten days, it's a wrap." It's like talk about fucking pressure. Goodness. Yeah. Good thing you had all that well, from your teacher. <laughs> So by the time they called me, I had made it through surgery. It wasn't a, my life was out of jeopardy. At oh, that okay. Point. So you were good at the, okay. You were yeah, no, at no I, I literally got to the hospital Christmas day, Christmas day yeah. and they said, we have to operate. And I, I said, I thought, and, um, oh, what happened? Uh, I thought they meant, um, Monday and they were like, no, no, no. In 15 minutes. Oh shit. That's crazy. so, uh, by the, it, and then by the time, you know, they had done the surgery and I woke up and I had, you know, probably 50 staples down my stomach, mm-hmm. um, I was out of immediate jeopardy. But then it was a question of how am I possibly going to, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, there's certain things about healing that you can't accelerate. I mean, yeah, it, just, it yeah. is what it is. Right. Yeah. And and so, like, I had them, I had them um, discharge me against, you know, medical advice. They were like, we're going to discharge you. But know that we're not taking any liability for this and i was like all right that's fine i don't care i gotta get back to la and so i did that's Damn. great and how old were you at that time i think it was 21. wow <laughs> i yeah. wouldn't have had that yeah. gumption at your house well, like, 21 be like Fuck it nope i'm yeah. done we gave it a good shot <laughs> good try <laughs> give, give me the drip right uh you know right uh, so talk about career after that, Sean, because, you, you know, you've had such a variety of work that you've done throughout. Was it a little bit hard? You know, oftentimes it's, it's kind of like the, uh, the Mark Hamill syndrome. Uh, you know, you're also a, 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 an, an amazing talent. But because people knew this character, did it pigeonhole you for a bit or were you getting work pretty quickly? It, it did a little bit. Um, I think the next big thing I did was I uh, was in The Outsiders, which Francis Ford Coppola produced. Uh, it, was, it was the television series, mm-hmm. uh, which was, again, amazing because I had, like Karate Kid, 
I had grown up reading all of S.C. Hinton's books, The Outsiders, Rumblefish, that was then, this is now. And now suddenly I'm playing the leader of the Soches, which was the Rich Kids gang. Um, bad guy. Um, uh, not from his perspective. But, Those damn uh, Soches. Yeah, so, so I, I, I did get cast as a lot of bad guys for a while. Um, and then, you know, I, I realized that I was getting cast as these guys because I was able to play that character, but I was very quickly getting typecast and I needed to really uh, do some work on myself as an actor. And and so I did and I, uh, I got back in class and I also, uh, I did a play. And, mm. and doing a play is an unbelievable way to grow as an actor because yeah. you've got, you know, usually you've got four to six weeks of intense rehearsal where you're really learning to deconstruct the role and trying out new things that, you know, you don't have that ability when you're doing uh, television to a smaller extent you do in film. But, you know, because films are, are largely predicated on finance, you know, they're not real interested in you sort of, you know, contemplating your navel and discovering yourself as an artist. It's <laughs> like show up and do your job while you're being paid. Um, so, you know, I was I was able to to grow as an actor. Uh, I also, you know, I was doing stand up comedy too, which I still do from time to time. Um, just before the pandemic, I was headlining at the uh, the, the uh, comedy store on Sunset, oh, nice. and I was supposed to be, yeah, and I was supposed to be headlining at the Atlantic City uh, Comedy Club. Got canceled because of COVID, but you know, I, I really love doing stand up. And there's, I mean, you know, you up there with a microphone and your words. Just let me tell you, you what, yeah. it's sacred, and yeah. that is phenomenal training. It's it's not, you know, it's 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 different than acting, but it really strengthens your muscles for improv. And like one thing I've learned, you know, especially when you're doing low budget stuff, you're doing you know independent films. If you have the ability to come up with dialogue on the fly and have the ability to improv um, when it's appropriate, you can dramatically uh, help your performance, help the film. Um, so that's something that I've always prided myself on that I'm, 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 I think I'm very good at doing that. And I've been able to take sometimes roles that were initially small roles and get them to expand so they stick out a little more. Yeah. What got you into this to, to stand up? Was there, was it something like, kind of like me, I'd grown up, man, there was Richard Pryor in the house, there was George Carlin, there was Andrew Dice Clay. Was it something from childhood you wanted to try, or is, as you continue yeah. to expand your repertoire? I grew up loving, uh, <laughs> probably weird to say this now, but I thought Bill Cosby was really funny. <laughs> we'll edit that <laughs> out. <laughs> Well, he was. He was. Yeah, where he goes, until I was eight years old, I thought my name was Jesus Christ. And my dad was like, Jesus Christ, clean your name. I mean, I thought he was funny. And, you know, uh, George Carlin, um, later Eddie Murphy. And I, I remember I had a, a buddy who was sleeping over when we were kids. And we we conned our babysitter who was watching us to driving us to a comedy club. It was like an hour away. And we snuck into the comedy club. I know this sounds like surreal. And I just was like, I was blown away watching these guys keep an audience spellbound with just the words. Uh -huh. And I was like, I gotta try that. And, you know, I think the first time I did stand up, I uh, was on the boardwalk in Atlantic City when I was like 16 years old. And uh, uh, I, they, they had like a, a local contest. I, I think I might have won it. I'm not sure, but I think I might have won it. Anyway, um, 
after I realized that I was foolish enough to be able to walk up to a bunch of strangers <laughs> and, and think that I was funny enough for them to listen to me, you know, it's a little like a drug. It's like I wanted more of it, you know, and 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 over the years, uh, I've just continued to do it. I, I really, you know, it's just something I love. Yeah. Well, I, was, uh, I think Dave Chappelle put it really great that it's it's one of the the truest and purest art forms where you know i forget what the term is but but it's the you know you can be a storyteller uh, yeah. you know if you're mitch hedberg and you're the brilliant one-liner guy or if you're you know one of these yeah. other comedians that'll you know bake the joke early on and finish the joke not till they're into their set or whatever it is it's that that almost like storyteller that you can bring people together that are diverse right. just through laughter yeah, and I think I think it's along with jazz, one of the true American art forms. Mm. You know what I mean? I think yeah. it's something that uh, is is intrinsically American uh, stand up. I mean, you know, starting with I guess vaudeville. Sure. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mikey. Oh, no, say I, something? no, I hiccuped. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for the hiccup. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shoot. Well, I know I'm. Com- Completely uninterested. I was just taking. No, I love stand up. I think it's incredible how somebody can go up with just themselves and a microphone and just you go, go, you and the microphone, go, make them laugh. Like I think that has to be one of the most, if not the most, difficult job in the biz, if you will, in my opinion, because I think that's incredible how someone can do that. Like going from Andrew Dice Clay selling out arenas, and like you see Kevin Hart, Eddie Murphy. Um, what was it? What was Eddie Murphy's deliriousness? Delirious, deliriousness. Yeah. That that's Delirious, yeah. amazing, amazing. Yeah. And it's just like yeah. I, in going out there at sixteen, such a young age. Yeah. Talk about cojones, my friend, because no way. Absolutely not. I couldn't do that. Uh, well, before we get to some Cobra Kai rumors, uh, Phil people in a cool series that uh, it's available on Amazon, uh, Studio City. Uh, how did you get that together? Yeah, so Studio City is a project that I've been, uh, you know, I've been trying to get together for over a decade. And, uh, you know, through the right series of relationships and, and, and uh, you know, opportunities and some good luck, um, we were able to get it made um, uh, last year uh, when it first came out. We we had six episodes and we got nominated for eight Emmys and twelve indie series awards. Very exciting, right? And uh, we are in the process now of doing post production on season two. That's nice. awesome. So, uh, nice. My 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 guess, actually not my guess. It, it will be it will be up on Amazon uh, if, if the planets align before the end of this month. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Which is like breakneck speed. <laughs> right. So you got yeah. editors that are like taking rotations, sleeping on a couch. And- oh, you have no idea. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like a juggling act, but uh, yeah. it's, it's a, a project of passion for everybody who's involved. Um, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's, it's funny. It's, it's dramatic um, for people who haven't seen it. Um, my character is Sam Stevens who plays Dr. Pierce Hartley, on Hearts on Fire, the number two soap opera in the world. And, you know, he's a guy that you think he's got the world by the tail because he's, you know, he's a, he's a soap star and he must be making all this money. And, and really, you realize that he's, he's an aging soap star and he's fighting to keep his, his relevance on the show, fighting to keep his job on the show. Um, you know, he's, he's got uh, all sorts of family issues and, and, you know, he struggles with, you know, some some issues himself and he's a guy that always 
thought he should have had like a bigger career, thought he should have been an action star until he gets told that he's just too old. Um, and at the end of the, uh, the pilot uh, of the first season, somebody who he never knew existed shows up and throws his, his entire reality into chaos. So these are, um, uh, it's a digital series. The episodes are between, I'd say between 10 and 15 minutes. So it's, it's very digestible, very easy to watch and it kind of hooks you right away. So if you haven't seen it, please tune in and uh, uh, you'll be able to see the second season pretty shortly. Yeah, add it to your list. It's really good. I've enjoyed it. And the thing that I liked about it is what you were saying was that so oftentimes that we perceive people or this person's got it all together and they've got no issues. And we kind of forget that everyone that's walking around with us has internal and external issues and things that are going on all the time. And it 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 really, even though it does have some good, good humorous moments and drama, but it really has a lot of heart to it in, in that regard. Yeah. Because you kind of, I think I love that saying that you never know what private war someone else is is fighting. Yeah, yeah, and it's true. Uh, you know, everybody's got their battles that they fight. Sure, and yeah. I, I think that's a, a reason to try and be, you know, uh, as understanding and compassionate as you can to to other people. Yeah, everybody's got their own shit going on. Yeah, yeah everyone's got their own shit. And with that said, uh, let's talk about the great work you're doing with uh, anti-bullying campaigns, and which is so awesome that uh, yeah, full circle, that. full circle from childhood, you know, all that shit, and, and now you're just trying to, you know, not only educate those that get bullied, but ma- those that are bullying as well. Sure, sure. Um, so I'm very involved with uh, with an organization called Buddha Bullying. Um, I'm the, uh, uh, the young man's youth ambassador. Uh, we go to schools and do a presentation, facilitate a dialogue with the kids. You know, we, we, we discuss how bullying is really a triangle. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the, the person getting bullied, there's the person doing the bullying, and then the kids who are affected by being kind of the, uh, you know, the bystanders. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's really, it's traumatic for everybody. And, um, it's amazing. You know, we, 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 I, when I get up and speak, I start by showing a clip of me from Karate Kid sure. 3 when I'm terrorizing Daniel LaRusso. And I said, would you believe that that scary guy used to get bullied? And then right, you know, it, it sort of snaps them into what? And and it, it it allows me to bridge the fact that I'm a guy in my 50s talking to a bunch of, you know, teens and pre-teens because why would they ever listen to an old guy like me? Right. And it, it, it gives me some street cred with them so that I can start to have a dialogue with um, you know, suicide is the fourth leading cause of death among kids, which is which is tragic. Mm-hmm. And and bullying is is an incredibly important factor in that. And now, you know, with the internet, uh, cyberbullying is yeah. is is another pandemic. I mean, I, I'm not trying to minimize what we're going through, but you know, with with one stroke of a, a keyboard, you know. Kids are getting bullied to everybody in their school 24 hours a day. And oh, yeah. it's just, you know, when I was a kid, you got bullied, like, you know, on the way to school, at lunch, and on the way home. And now, you know, kids are getting bullied nonstop. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it's just so destructive. And so, you know, it's something I'm really I'm passionate about. It's something that I, I, I really... Um, you know, it's, 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 it's work that I think is important and want to continue doing and kind of spread the message. And I just think that, you know, if, if anyone's watching this, if you're, if you're a parent, you know, you may get one shot at your kid or your younger brother or sister coming to you and being able to suck it up and say, Hey, listen, I'm, I'm getting bullied. And, and if, if you're not receptive to it, 
in that moment, they might not try and speak to somebody again. And so it's, I I think there's a responsibility um, on the side of adults to be vigilant uh, and also to, to try and facilitate an environment where kids feel safe enough to talk about something that's highly, highly humiliating for them. You know, it's, it's just, I mean, there's, there's nothing worse than, you know, a young boy going to his dad and saying, Hey, I'm I'm getting the shit kicked out of me at school. You know what I mean? So like all the, all the cards are stacked against kids feeling comfortable enough to doing it. Mm -hmm. When they actually are able to summon up the courage to do it, it's, it's really, it's imperative that, that, that the adults are, are receptive to it and do something about it. Yeah. And as word you've been using compassion, you know, that's um, um, one of the things for me, of course, Sean, and you and I had had a phone conversation, you know, prior to going through, you know, recovery uh, with my addiction is that was one of the things that I had to start to learn that as a man, I just didn't have to be this masculine like thing of which I'm so far from anyways, but I could finally embrace that. I have a spectrum of thoughts, feelings, and emotions and and that's all valid. They all deserve to be heard, to be understood, to, to realize, you know, the, the best way I, I heard someone is, um, I think it was this gentleman, Tony Hoffman, we'd had on who goes out and speaks to schools as well. Uh, he had crazy, crazy addiction history in prison as well. But that, you know, we got to we got to not only focus on those being bullied, but those that are the bullies, because there's something going on there at home. It kind of goes back to the there is no bad student, only bad teacher. Um, and like you said, if we shut off that conversation, then when they try to talk to us and they're being failed at home, then they're being failed at school. Those two institutions, there's one other potential institution they could head towards eventually. Absolutely. For sure. Uh, you know, you hit the nail on the head. Um, like I said, it's a triangle. You know, we, we really try and speak to not just the kids getting bullied, but the kids that are doing the bullying and, and the kids that are being affected by, you know, witnessing it and feeling, you know, oh, they can't do anything or maybe they're part of the problem cheering it on. You know, there's a, there's a lot, like, again, a lot of different um nanoshades of gray in behavior uh that need to be addressed yeah absolutely um you were talking about your book uh did, you didn't give us a date on that do you already have a publishing date coming up for yes or? well um it is my sincere hope that it's going to come out <laughs> i was saying before christmas um i'm really hoping it's going to come out in early january i'm so close to having it finished but you know with with uh, uh filming studio city it, studio city is such a big project that I really had to put the book on hold for a couple of weeks. Um, now I'm getting back into it, uh, but you know it takes some time to get it edited and get it printed and everything. But it's for sure going to be out uh, in early uh, uh, 2021. Nice. Right. Well, we'll continue to watch on social media. I want to pick it up. I'm, yeah, absolutely. I'm the reader of the two here, so he just tells me about it. <laughs> yeah, <he'll> like, <laughs> make a movie about way, it. Way of the cobra. So, so what I do is I use the word cobra as. Uh, uh, from the acronym of um, um, character, uh, optimization, balance, respect, and abundance. And, you know, I I talk about a a cobra is somebody that is living their best life. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I I sort of frame the whole book as if it's it's the dojo of life and I'm the sensei. And, you know, it's fun and it's kind of cheeky and uh, I think it's going to be a fun read and it's going to, you know, so often, 
we don't hear different messages. You know what I mean? There's certain things in, in, in the universe that are realities that are just good brain food, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like what I said about having a why, right? That's, that's not reinventing the wheel. Um, but sometimes the wrapping paper that, that the, the message comes in, the present comes in, is what attracts the eye. And it's like, you know, two people can be saying the same thing in different ways. Mm-hmm. Why is somebody going to gravitate to this? So, you know, I, I, as the humble messenger in this book, I say maybe maybe my way of presenting it is what is going to finally, you know, get somebody to to understand it. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah. it is very true. That, you know, it could be that uh, the enticement of, of of who you are, the roles you've done, the connectivity through the films that have inspired them, as opposed to somebody that uh, it's like. I don't know who Deepak Chopra is, but I know who John Canyon is. So I'm going to check that out. You know what I'm right. saying? That's right. too cool. Well, I, being the, being that I'm a fan, we have to talk Cobra Kai rumors here. Okay. Uh, I know that even if you were involved, there's limited stuff, but I did read an interview somewhere with producers where they were talking about they would love to have all past cast members from the right. films back. Any conversation, Sean? Huh? Wink, hint? Well, I said it before, and I mean, there's nothing that I'm going to say now that's any different, but, you know, the, the guys, the producers are, you know, they're diehard fans, which I think is, is amazing. I mean, you know, there could not be better stewards of the Karate Kid universe than, um, you know, Josh, John, and Hayden. Um, I, I, and I do believe that they at some point would like to bring everybody back. Um, I don't know that we've necessarily seen the last of Mike Barnes. Um, uh, you know, we shall see. That's, yeah. that's all I can say. I mean, I, <laughs> I know, it's quite, but, uh, you know, we, sh- we shall see. Yeah, because we've already seen the trailer for season two, so it looks like we're going to get uh... – you know, Daniel's son maybe going to back to Okinawa, some stuff season there. Three. What's that? No, for season three. For season three. For season Sorry. three. Yeah, for season three. So I think it would be interesting to have Barnes and, and maybe Terry Silver back, you know? <laughs> Everyone always thinks that Barnes and Terry Silver would still be buddies. And it's like, I, I don't see that at all. No. I mean, Terry Silver, obnoxious kid who didn't achieve his goal. Uh, you know, I, I mean, but, you know, the thing is that. Mike Barnes was promised 50% of those dojos. And I think it'd be really interesting uh, if he came back and, you know, said to, uh, to Johnny, Hey pal, (laughs) 50% of this should be mine. Yeah. Uh, I think set up an interesting um, uh, conflict with, with, you know, with some, some canon validity to it. So we'll see. Um, People ask me all the time what I think happened to Mike Barnes. Uh, I think there's a lot of different ways that, uh, um, that the, the producers and writers could bring him back into this. Um, you know, I love the fact that these guys have such strong comedy chops that uh, I think whatever they do, it's, it's, it's going to be multidimensional and yeah. funny, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to it uh, as much as everyone else is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bar- who knew it? Barnes went on to become a stand-up comedian afterwards. Hey guys, I'm back for Cobra Kai. <laughs> you know? right, there's a relationship coach or an anger management coach. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you're right because I've thought about that like so many different. Because you would expect Terry Silver, because people that haven't seen maybe Karate Kid Three, he's you know, uh, toxic waste <laughs> dumper, a total just rich douchebag. Everyone is below him, so he's not changing. We know he's a dick still, but you could <laughs> see Barnes re- maybe a lesson through it that he's gone either an antagonist or a protagonist route, and what could that be? You know, right. so. 
Hey, I'm all in. I'm all in for that. Well, Sean, cool. we like to, uh, uh, before we uh, give you kind of the final word and a positive message, wrap it up with uh, some rapid fire questions. Don't have to be too okay. rapid. You could give them some thought, but, uh, you know, they're all in good fun. So fire away, Mikey. All right. If you can have dinner with anybody you wanted, dead or alive, who would it be? Wow. Um, gosh. You know, look, I'm, I'm not even that religious, but I, I got to go with JC. I mean, you know, I got one. You know, We've gotten that one. <laughs> yeah. You and Lamar Odom. Yeah, same answer. <laughs> Why do yeah. you say that? Well, I listen, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> there's uh, a lot of knowledge there. There's uh, a lot of a lot of um, uh, mystery there as to you know. Hey, you know, t- tell me about uh, age zero to thirty three. I, mean, you know, <laughs> right. I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, and I think I think there's there, there would be the possibility of of, of some some life changing epiphanous uh, information and 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 spiritual connection that would be really interesting i mean you know a close second would be uh uh siddhartha Gautama, the buddha i mean i think i think that'd be really interesting i mean as as much as like einstein was fascinating i just i I don't know that i'd have a whole lot that he'd be interested in hearing um or or that i might pull out of what he was saying (laughs) (laughs) sean the e equals the mc squared it's just that simple do it like well this is fun let me get the check. <laughs> check, <laughs> check, please. Uh, pass it to Mr. Einstein. Uh, Fire away, Jason. <laughs> all right. Um, what are some of your pet peeves, if any? Oh, okay. I got two, and they're really stupid. <laughs> I can't stand when you were in uh, uh, an office building, and the bathroom requires a key. Oh. Okay? Oh, yeah, that is I stupid. hate that. And as a corollary to that, I can't stand when you actually go in the stall and you pull the toilet paper out, and it's as if somebody has taken one of those large wrenches and tightened it, <laughs> so that you know you're, it just pulls off little by little. Those are stupid. Those are pet peeves. <laughs> those um, are stupid, and I hate them. <laughs> like you know, I don't like cruelty. I don't like blah blah. Of course, so, you know, nobody likes that shit. Right? Yeah. Um, I don't like waiting in line. I, I've got an absolute lack of um, patience, which is something that I, I, I work on diligently uh so if the uh, wife says what, we're what, going to disneyland sean you're like oh fuck right all right <laughs> I, I don't like i don't like crowds either um not that not that i dislike people but i don't like crowds mm. um hmm what else uh and a, a pet peeve is really something with myself i'm, I'm not I'm not the uh, sharpest spoon in the drawer when it comes to technology. Although my wife is like my in-house IT IT guy, like she can build computers literally. So so like it doesn't affect me that much. But like if I was on my own, um, yeah, I, I I'd be very angry with myself because I'm just not great with technology and things like that. Uh, That's yeah. Jason for sure. I don't know shit about computers and all that stuff. I'm like, hey, how do you how do you get this thing on that over there? Like, how do I? What do I need to do here? Yeah, so I get what you're saying. Press the button. Yeah. 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 Oh, all you got to do is here, and then this key, and then that. I'm like, what? The, just fucking do it. I don't know. Uh, all right. What is another, okay? If they were to make a movie about you, Mr. Cannon, who would play? Who would you cast to play you, and why? Oh, that's a, that's a tough one. Come on, man. I mean, come on, you got this. 
who would I who would I cast to play me? You know, you know, I'll tell you who I would cast to play me. I would cast a young Robert Downey Jr. Not that not that he and I really have anything in common, but I just think he is such a phenomenal actor. That or you know, or, or let, let me let me let me amend that. <laughs> I, I think it would be really funny to watch Nick Cage play me. <laughs> I don't know why. I would like to see Nicholas give me like an acid trip. You know? like Nicholas Cage version for playing me. Yeah, I, just, <laughs> I, uh, I could just see some sort of scene where he's like, you know, playing you, calling your folks. Yeah, I got Karate Kid three. I'm gonna be a badass. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. Oh, shit. That's the best answer ever. Oh, <laughs> hell. Uh, and then, do you think it, if it was Nick Cage, it would have to be a comedy like in the vein of Raising Arizona or something? Oh, for sure. Like that or um, I mean, you know, like everything he does has got comedy in it, you know? I mean, like The Rock. and uh, Yeah. yeah. I, that would be my guy. Yeah, like I always love the scene, uh, with, you know, him and Connery, you know, winners go home and fuck the prom queen. He's like, yeah, my lady oh, was the prom. <laughs> <laughs> and that was played by Vanessa Martell, who I was on uh, General Hospital with. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Nice. Um, all right, let me see here. Uh, I was going to ask who's your biggest inspiration. Well, okay, so you're, you did talk about your sensei being a, a huge inspiration and mentor. Do you think he's your biggest inspiration and mentor in life? No, I, I have to say probably my father. I mean, my, my, both my parents. My parents have both given me um, uh, a lot of love and, and very good advice um, over the years. Um, my uncle Jeffrey, uh, who is a uh, he's a, a doctor, uh, been very close with him all of my life. Um, uh, sensei Sensei Fumio Demura, who was Pat Morita's stunt double. Uh, you know, with somebody else who has uh, been very important in my life. Um, my, my, my acting teacher, the late Roy London. Um, so, you know, I think, I think at different, if at different times in my life, different people have had significant importance. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it does kind of take a village, at least with this guy, it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does with their very large village. <laughs> And it does with everyone, and that's what I, I really loved and wanted to get out to people about, you know, not just, you know, adversities you've been, you know, gone through, but, got, you know, taking it and now doing all this stuff to be a mentor back to youth and other, right. other people and just, you know, your approach and how you treat people. It's just, you know, we need more of that. Uh, Mikey, you're up. Good, sir. If you could travel anywhere in time, but you had to stay there, where hmm. would you go and why? Hmm... It could be the future or the past. It would, it would for sure be the future. It um, would be the future. No, no, it would be. It would be. Oh, shit. Yes, the future. Yeah, no, it'd be the future for sure. Um, uh, well, that, see, that's a tricky one, though, yeah. because could I bring someone with me? I mean, can I bring my wife with me no, or do I have to you. leave my wife? Just you. Well, I guess either, I guess either <laughs> way, well, then, you know, I, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. Okay, fine. You could bring your wife. Okay, you could take your okay. wife. <laughs> That's really sweet, Sean. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's like, like that, that would be. I would. I would opt out. Um, I would say. I would say the future. Um, um, I don't know, maybe like five, six hundred years in the future. I think it'd be fascinating to see if we're finally, you know, interacting with uh, uh, you know uh, other civilizations uh, in the universe. 
Um, my, my hope would be that we, you know, wouldn't have destroyed ourselves or yeah. uh, succumbed to some kind of a pandemic that, that really ultimately did, you know, threaten humanity. Um, but I just think it would be amazing to see if we finally got our shit together and we're treating each other well and and you know what what kind of advancements in in medicine and communications and all the other stuff i think it'd be uh pretty amazing i would probably find myself being completely useless though i mean like uh short short of doing a a, a monologue for our uh you know for our alien overlords i'm not really sure <laughs> i think based uh, off the year 2020 like, is going i'd remember, be terrified remember, Remember Ripley and Alien? Like she fell asleep for 300 years and she like got it. Not, not that there's anything wrong with working on the loading docks, but like she wasn't classified to do anything else because she was so behind in the technology. So maybe I could drive one of those big things. Or... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, that's really interesting because I hadn't thought of it, you know, that way if it would be the Gene Roddenberry ver- vision of what the future could hold. Uh, That's what I think, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I do believe at some point, you know, I, I do not want to get political, but I was going to say, I do believe at some point that we will have a more unified singular world government. The question is, who do you want to be leading that government? Right. You know, that's, that's the issue I have. And I'm not going to, you know, fingers or this and that, but it's like, you know, that could be, that could be very different, whether it's, based on a religious theocracy, whether it's based on a democracy, whether it's based on an uh, you know, oligarchy, you know, it, it just just because it's one world order, which I, I do think at some point is probably inevitable. You know, Ronald Reagan said, he said how quickly all of our, you know, all of our earthly disputes would seem irrelevant if we found out that we were dealing with something from out there, yeah. um, you know. Yeah, no. Well, like I was point. saying, based off of the way 2020 is going, I'd be scared to go into the future. I mean, we're getting court ordered to stay home and I didn't even get arrested. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'd rather go back to the 70s. That's where all my favorite music took place. I'd like to go see them in person. <laughs> that could be fun too, yeah. Jason, you're up. Uh, what would you say your greatest achievement is? What do you think it is? Uh, it's my marriage to my wife. I really, I really think that. I think that. That's um, awesome. That's a good one. I, I think that getting Michelle to marry me um, has really helped me become such a different and better guy. A guy that I was not able to be without her. I mean, I think it was always in me, but I, I just, I just think that it's, it's, it's really allowed me to kind of spread my wings and, and, and. At least be on the path to being the guy that I've always wanted to be. Yeah. Did she take some coaxing, Sean? I mean, were you just? <laughs> no, we really need to do this. I don't know. To marry me? No, you know, I, I have to be honest. It was kind of, it was kind of love at first sight. Um, oh, I, I, I saw her, and she was literally yelling and complaining to a girlfriend of hers about something, and I was like, "Yep, that's the girl for me." <laughs> <marry her."> <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it's. You know, and I, I, I hope people really hung on what you said about, uh, you know, marrying her and what it's made for you. I read that uh, um, uh, a saying the other day, and I'm going to f- probably fuck it up, but um, you know you're truly in a good place in a relationship when it makes you love yourself more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think for I nailed sure. it. Um, I, I, I got another one I like. The right one will make you, the wrong one will break you. 
And, uh, <laughs> fucking A. Can we both? Yeah, we know what you're talking about, buddy. <laughs> Let me tell you. We just looked at each other at the same time, like, yup. Uh, nailed that shit, you did. Uh, Mike, you got any more? Uh, another one there? All right. Um, what is something some people would be surprised to learn about you? What is some somebody people don't know about you? Okay, I'm totally butchering that. What is something uh, about you that people would be surprised to learn? There we go. Well, on, on, on the stupid side, that I talk to myself constantly, which is just bizarre. <laughs> I and do I, too. I don't yeah. know why In I do car, it, but I do. I do too. <laughs> I talk, oh, <laughs> talk to myself all the time. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I uh, hmm. um, I'm a real dog lover, love dogs. Um, I uh, uh, am very uh, fascinated with foreign languages. I, I study uh, Italian and I study Mandarin. Nice. Uh, it's something that I've, I've always, at some point or another, am studying some language. So maybe that's something that they uh, would not know about me. And and I love to cook. Oh, nice! Damn it, we should have got him up here. And it's hey, you know, nobody buys. Hey. Yeah, Sean, what do you want to cook tonight? Huh? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, in wrapping up, John, this is uh, this has been a total blast and a pleasure. But um, yeah, what sure. kind of you know words of uh, inspiration can kind of lend to people? Of course, a lot, all of us, you know, as of this recording, you know, the COVID's still in effect. You know, the holiday seasons we've gone through. Um, that you can just kind of lend to people that from from your life experience. It- I think the first thing, which is going to sound cliche, but it's true, is that it can't rain all the time. This too shall pass. Yeah. And, and as we're coming into the holidays, I think the holidays really tend to amplify everything, both both positive and negative. And unfortunately, a lot of people are not going to be able to spend time with the people they love. And that's really difficult. And I would just say, you know, the best way that I know to get out of yourself is to try and reach out and and make someone else feel good connect with them um i also think that it's really important that you know we we don't just survive but we thrive you know uh, you know take this time when when you know you're home and and you know god forbid you're not one of the people that you know can't work or if you are find something that you can do that is going to bring value to your life and someone else's you know for me i've I've taken this time to really work on my book, um, um, and, uh, and and to prep getting Studio City done. That's been kind of the stuff that I've done to thrive. Um, and then I'd say on a <clears throat> on a bigger note, and it's one of the things I talk about in my book is that you know you need to really figure out what your success is. You know, not success as defined by Madison Avenue commercials and some. Um, you know, the conspicuous consumption of some celebrities, Instagram feed, but figure out what your internal barometer says success means to you, because ultimately you're only competing against yourself. And, and, you know, if you don't have an idea of what success means to you, it's, it's, it's like getting in a car and not knowing the destination. Mm -hmm. So I guess clarity, uh, deciding what it is that you want to do and then, and just, um, try to take this time to, you know, shift into gear and make it happen. Well, anything else, Mikey? 
No, I think that's it, man. Awesome. Well, Mr. Sean Kane, thank you so much for your time. This has been a total blast. I yeah, appreciate your time, blast, man. man. I've been the shit with a couple of buddies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully when all this uh, stuff changes, you know, like you, we've, uh, you and I have talked about, get you up here speaking to some of these schools yeah. in our area. So uh, I would really love that. You guys, I want to wish you all the best. I hope you have a, a wonderful holiday. Um, stay safe and uh, keep in touch, all right? Yeah, we thank will. Thank you so much, Sean. Thank you. you as well, brother. Thank you so much. Knocking doors down. Real people, real stories, real life. Real discussions of life struggles including addiction, relationships, finances, and more. But even more importantly, living with them, overcoming them, and conquering them. Celebrities, experts, and everyday people talk about how they were able to break through whatever life handed them by knocking doors down. New podcast episodes are available every Thursday. Subscribe now on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio app, or at kddmediacompany.com. Sean Kanan. I, I can't wait to hang out with him. You know, this I, pandemic, I, I want it in. Everybody's healthy so we can start doing things like bringing Sean out to speak at schools and talk to the youth about anti-bullying. You and the rest of America, man, we're all fucking over it. Let's get this <laughs> pandemic shit over. But yeah, no, it'd definitely be uh, fun to get him out here and talking to the youth and all that. I think that'll be a good thing for sure. Yeah, a lot of great takeaways. What an awesome guy. And again, we can't do any of this that we're doing here on the Knocking Doors Down podcast without 5150, 5150 LTM. Click that link in the podcast description. Still some time to buy some of the swag. You see all the uh, videos that Mikey and I are in on the social media. We're wearing 5150 gear, and you can get yourself that gear as well. That's right. And again, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you listen to us on uh, Apple Podcast app, make sure to leave us a five-star review and a rating. Uh, You know, spread the word, tell a friend, pass it along. If uh, an episode or two has made an impact to you, send it to a friend, a loved one, someone that might want to hear it, enjoy it, and check it out. Ask them to subscribe. And uh, that's how we grow. We appreciate you guys. We appreciate you all. Anything else, Mr. Naraki? Yeah, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Yeah, available now. Link is in the description. On that note, Mikey, anything else? No, I'm going home. All right, guys, keep knocking doors down. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the knocking doors down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure 
sure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.